Welcome. If you're a woman who has a sense that there's more out there for you, you're in the right place. I'm Whitney Baker, host of the Electric Ideas podcast. Somewhere along the line of working kids, life carried on, but I lost track of my truth. I'm on a reflective journey, and that's what this podcast is all about. Each week, I interview a woman who is lighting her own path and offering others hope. Before our conversation ends, we'll share a reflective question for you to explore. Sometimes all we need is a jolt, a fresh idea, an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Welcome back to Electric Ideas. Today's guest is Anna Surrey. Anna teaches a non-diet approach to overcome food challenges such as binge, over, and emotional eating. She's all about helping women relearn how to trust their bodies to make food choices that feel good without the judgment, without the shame. Anna can really speak from the heart on these topics because she struggled for 20 years with a wide range of disordered eating behaviors, health and weight obsession, exercise addiction, body dysmorphia. But this all changed once she discovered how to trust her body through the freedom of intuitive eating. So that is what we are going to dive into today, the whole idea of intuitive eating. Anna says when she discovered intuitive eating for the first time, she experienced confidence, well-being, and truly a feeling of being at home in her body like never before. Since then, she's been working one-on-one in her mentorship program with women using a wide range of tools to help women overcome their own personal food and eating challenges without dieting or food restrictions. As always with sensitive topics, take what serves you and leave the rest behind. Let's get into it. Hi, Anna. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much. I am excited to get into this topic because I feel like we live in a society where women are just bombarded with diet culture and this pressure, whether it was from society or how we grew up, to kind of feel and look a certain way. I get the impression that a lot of women in my circles are ready to just kind of lay it all down and not have it take up so much mental space. So I'm curious in your work with women in this area, what have you discovered? Where are they at and what are they longing for? Yeah, so everything that you just sort of summarized, I add to that or expand on that. So generally, the women that come to me have had a long time experience with all kinds of diets. They've been on at least probably between five and 30 diets in their lifetime. And they have dieted anywhere from five years to 30 plus years. And when I say the word diet, I don't just mean Weight Watchers or Atkins or anything like that. I'm talking about any form of restriction where you cut out food groups or specific foods or the amounts of foods or the timing of food. That can also be intermittent fasting. That can also be paleo. That can also be sugar-free. So the wellness industry has sort of been hijacked by the diet industry as well. And it's a very sort of shady gray area. So a lot of the women that come to me are hanging out in that gray area. So they might not necessarily have been diagnosed with a clinical eating disorder, such as anorexia or bulimia, but they're in that gray zone between those two extremes where food occupies their every waking and sometimes also sleeping thought where they constantly worry, am I allowed to eat that? Should I eat that? Is that going to make me gain weight? Yesterday I read about this, but my friend is doing this protocol. Am I allowed to eat now? Should I wait a few hours? How many calories? What time should I eat dinner? What time should I eat breakfast? 
And then the body piece where you catch yourself in the mirror and you get frustrated and sad and feel ashamed of your body where you pick apart every centimeter of your body, every tiny bit of fat gets scrutinized. And all of that impacts the quality of your life in such a way that you constantly feel hopeless and miserable. A lot of the women that come to me say, you know, I've always believed that my life will truly begin when I get to X weight. I will feel totally fulfilled. I'll be happy once I get to X weight. I will feel so confident and truly me. I get this a lot once I reach X weight. So their life is essentially being put on hold until they get to X weight. They don't allow themselves to be happy. They don't allow themselves to enjoy their lives, be present with their family, with their kids, with their partner, with their friends. They hold back on activities that they might want to be doing because they're saying, I'm going to do that when they can't enjoy going on holidays because they're so self-conscious what their body looks like in a swimsuit. They can't just go out for a relaxing dinner with their friends because they're terrified of the ingredients or the amount of calories, or they think, okay, if I eat this now, I have to work out extra hard tomorrow. It just becomes this exhausting full-time job. And then just like that, 10, 20, 30, 40 years have passed and you kind of go, oh, I've just spent maybe more than half of my life pursuing this thing and I've lost an untold amount of time of my life. So that's sort of it in a nutshell. Oh my gosh, so much to talk about in there. Thank you for that reflection because I know a lot of women are going to see themselves in that and have an honest opportunity to reflect on how much, like you said, mind space and energy. They're just giving the food in general. So I know we want to talk about intuitive eating and it's been touted as kind of the anti-diet approach and it's something I'm learning more and more about. Let's just start by defining it. What is intuitive eating? So essentially, I always like to sort of really simplify it. If you imagine a toddler, a child that's just starting to eat, or maybe he or she is eating, you know, a few different foods by now, they intuitively know what foods they want in any given moment. Sometimes they go through a phase where they just want carrots for like two weeks, right? And then there might be a week where they just want potatoes. So we are all born with this innate sense and connection with our body, with what it needs. Our body is constantly talking to us, but then with time, with our primary caretakers, with our environment, with what we pick up from magazines and podcasts and TV shows, we get more and more rules put in here. So that subtle voice of our body gets drowned out. And we now eat more from this than from our body. So intuitive eating essentially is when you connect back in and relearn to understand your body's language. How is it communicating with you? What it wants to eat at any given time. So what are some of the core principles of if we were going to try to start incorporating more intuitive eating as a proactive way to listen to our bodies and make eating just more of a pleasurable experience? Where would we start? So we would definitely start by looking at diet culture and how we have been subjected to it, how it has affected us. We look at all of our beliefs about food, about weight, about health, about our body. 
and really try to look at it from the outside in as if you're the observer. Oh, what are my beliefs? What did I hear all the time as a child? For example, you can just have one cookie. Sugar is really bad. I'll take it easy. We got a event coming up or, you know, whatever it might be. How did your mother talk about her body in front of you? What did she say about food, right? Because all of that we live through is implanted in here and we automatically live by that as well. And then you just add on, like I just said, all the messages that we receive, it just goes in unfiltered because it's also very normalized. So we think, well, everybody's living like that. So I guess that's just how it's done. And we just kind of go along for the ride without actually extracting ourselves and going, is that really true? Has that really been serving me? So the, the first piece really is to become the observer of that and start to notice. And I'm sure you've experienced that. Like you just said, you, you start to learn about something and then you just see it everywhere and you just have all these aha moments. It's, it's quite miraculous, really, how that happens. So that's always where you want to start. How else can we make more peace with food in general through intuitive eating? So once we sort of remove ourselves from diet culture and we come back to our body, then it's about bringing pleasure back into our eating experience because most of us have made food the enemy because we think food equals fat on our body, potential fat on our body. So for a lot of us, when we eat, it's actually a very stressful experience because we're like dealing with the enemy here and it's it's a cause for concern. And so when we're in a stress response, not only aren't we digesting properly and we're bringing up stress hormones like cortisol, which actually lead to weight gain or signal the body to hold on to weight, ironically, but also are we not able to then be present with our meal and actually taste what we're eating? And we can probably all relate to that. You can eat the leftover brownie hidden in the pantry really quick while nobody sees you, or you can be out for dinner and have the most amazing plate of pasta and be with friends and drink a glass of wine and just like soaking up the experience and, and tasting the flavors and go, oh my God, can you taste that in this? right? We're in the experience. We're present. We're feeling it. We're tasting it. We're getting all the taste buds are being activated. That is far more healthy and enjoyable than just eating something and hiding and feeling terrible about it. So we want to come back to our senses because that also then makes our eating experience a satisfying experience, which is crucial when we eat something. Because if we're not truly satisfied, our brain will kind of go, well, did we actually eat? There's something missing. That's the grazing thing, right? When you just keep eating, even though you kind of think, well, I, I should be full, but there's something kind of, it doesn't feel complete. Satisfaction is big and we can't get satisfaction if we feel stressed out and guilty about it. So interesting. I mean, this is totally bringing up for me, I associate it with the French idea, but you know, you see these beautiful, uh, seemingly healthy, you know, French women enjoying their, all the, all the bread and pasta. I, I feel like though there is a different culture between eating being a time of connection and pleasure and joy, but it also sometimes in other cultures, as I've traveled, I think just making a moment of it too is part of it. You know, even if it's just setting the table or lighting a candle, like really simple things. And I go back and forth because I don't want anyone to feel like, oh my gosh, especially the moms in the community that eating always has to be a production or something they have to worry about doing more for. That said, sometimes just putting out nice napkins or something like that 
can make it feel more intentional for me and a little bit more special. And I think it draws me into the moment and just, I'm curious what you think about that and how that maybe ties to the satisfaction piece that some people are missing. Absolutely. Because essentially eating is a ritual and we're eating for as a ritual. And then it's also to bring us pleasure. Why we want to rush something that's pleasurable. We want to just drag that out for as long as possible. Right. I have a ritual with a cup of tea that I make every morning. I have a really nice loose tea. I have a really nice cup and it's a, it's a little ritual. I take my time with that. And it's really beautiful. I I love doing things. It can also then be quite a meditation, you know, a moment of presence, a moment of awareness. So yeah, we set the table, we intentionally make it beautiful and pleasing to all the senses, not just our taste buds, but also our eyes, we're creating an atmosphere, we make it a sensory experience, which is really beautiful. I'm totally on board with that. And then there's also life happening, and it's not always possible. And I find a lot of the women that I work with, a lot of people who've dieted for a really long time, they're sort of in the all or nothing camp, right? So it's like, either I'm going to do it amazing all of the time, or it's just all just rubbish. And life usually doesn't happen in those extremes. It just happens in that kind of messy middle. And we just do our best. And we bring our humanness into that. And sometimes there's just takeout because everyone's had a really big day and we're all tired and there's nothing in the fridge and we want to prioritize sleep than standing in the kitchen for two hours and then going to bed at midnight just because we had to have the perfect meal. So we're always coming back to, okay, what's possible? What's my budget? What can I afford when it comes to food? Because not everybody has access to all kinds of food. You know, not everybody can buy a $50 superfood or whatever it might be. So we're just doing the best with what we've got at any given moment in time. And then it's so important to not beat ourselves up about it. Just go, I'm doing the best I can with food. There is no such thing as perfection. Something that I always tell my clients is you can't make mistakes with food, which to them, they go, what are you talking about? I thought there were rules. I thought there's right or wrong. I thought there's healthy and unhealthy, clean and dirty. So that's again, living life in the extremes. When we give permission, go, Hey, guess what? You can't make mistakes with food. It's a free pass and it just takes so much pressure off. Just takes so much pressure off. It's amazing how life-changing that concept is. That does feel so liberating because I like that you brought up the extreme kind of situations and also the idea of of women beating themselves up because I I feel like a lot of women are like, oh, okay, I've been doing well and I'm just going to enjoy my pizza you know, it's like a family thing. And then they beat themselves up about it. And they, even if they don't feel bad physically, they feel maybe feel guilt or shame because that's how a lot of women in our society have been programmed. How do you help your clients overcome that? So I think something that's really important to understand, and maybe some of the listeners or viewers can resonate with that. There are certain foods that maybe we feel more out of control with that we kind of feel like, oh, we can't have it in the house because once we start, there's no end in sight, or it's just the kind of special foods, the treat foods that we only have once in a while because for whatever reason. So we are putting a sort of a restriction on these foods. We make them special. We give them power. And the thing with restriction is eventually it's just like, I always give that example of holding your breath. If we just hold our breath for 30 seconds, for 40 seconds, maybe for 50, maybe someone, even the person that has the world record in breath holding, eventually they're going to have to take a breath. 
And it's not just going to be a little, it's going to be a big gas for air. And it's the same with our restriction, right? So we can control, we can control, we can control, but then eventually the pendulum is likely to swing all the way over to the other extreme again, where we just can't stop. Then we feel guilty. Oh my God, what's wrong with me? Why can't I control myself? Okay, this is it. This is the last time as of tomorrow, I will never eat sugar ever again, or as of Monday, or as of next month, or as of the new year, whatever we tell ourselves to feel better in the moment. And then that might work for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months, but then eventually the pendulum will swing over again. And guilt and shame are the the main players here because guilt and shame are also a form of restriction, a form of mental restriction. Because when we eat something that we think we shouldn't eat, we're in a way restricting that. And then not only do we feel bad for doing that, we also make ourselves bad. We start to attach our sense of self-worth to our eating choices. So interesting. In the same vein, I've heard about not labeling any food as good or bad. What's your take on that? Yes, I totally agree. There's no moral value on foods. And sure, we can all agree that a chocolate bar doesn't have the same nutrients as broccoli, of course. But when we look at it from a moral value, one isn't better than the other one. And the thing is, when we do put foods in categories, this is also what the studies show, we then feel more out of control with these foods that we put in the bad category, right? No one feels out of control with broccoli. Why do you think that is? Because we know we can have as much broccoli as we want at any time of the day until the day we die. We don't feel that way about chocolate. And they have done studies, for example, with kids with the M&M jar. I don't know if you've heard of that, where families, I can't remember the exact how many families took part in it and the exact time. But the thing was, you put a jar of M&Ms on the, on the kitchen table or the counter, it's full. And you tell the kids, you can have M&Ms whenever you want. Of course, the kids go nuts like, oh my God, it's like Christmas and birthdays all together. We can have all the M&Ms. They're super excited. You know, the bowl gets emptied really quickly and it just gets filled up. It gets filled up. It gets filled up. After a few days, the M&Ms become totally uninteresting to the kids. It's like, oh, the M&Ms are always there. Okay. It's totally lost its power over you. And just the way that it works for kids. It's also for us as adults. If we told ourselves, okay, for the next four days, I'm going to eat brownies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks. How many days do you think it will take <laughs> until you get totally sick of brownies? When I start working with people and they go, oh my God, but if I allow myself to eat whatever I want, I'm only ever going to eat all the foods I shouldn't be eating, the foods that I've forbidden. And then we give full unconditional permission to eat those foods. And then very quickly, they lose their attraction because they're always available. And the fascinating thing that often happens is they tell me, oh, this food that I thought I was totally addicted to, I don't actually even like it. It was just that it was forbidden. I'm so glad you brought up the M&M jar because I think all women, especially who are raising girls, want to do right by them and want to set a good example, but it's, it's tricky. What's your best advice for raising body positive girls and girls who have a healthy relationship with food? Yeah. So first I want to sort of preface this by saying I'm not specialized in working with children and intuitive eating, but I am working with a lot of mothers who have girls. And 
one of the first thing I'll always say is you as the mother, you lead by example, because your children, even if you don't talk about it, they pick up everything. They see everything. And when you start to neutralize foods, when you start to heal your own relationship with food, when you stop talking about bad food, good food, allowed, not allowed, treat, no treat or whatever, then you will automatically pass that on to your children. So that's is the food piece. And then when we're talking about body image, which of course is a huge topic, which this work on food never works in isolation, never works with our body image work, because the reason that most women are struggling with their food relationship is because they're struggling with their body image. That came first, right? You would never have changed your eating if it wasn't for the desire to change your body and lose weight. So we can't fix the food piece without also looking at the body piece. So that's just as a little preface. And again, if you as a mother start to embody a positive body image, your daughters or daughter, they're going to benefit from that because you now are empowered, you're equipped to help them as you're healing. You can teach also them how to heal. And one of the sort of most important concepts is that we're taught to identify with our body as if that's all we are, as if we are only our body. That's what makes us. But we are so much more than that. We are our personality, our values, how we bring joy in other people's lives, how we care for other people, how we care for ourselves, the things that light us up. That's what makes us us. And I always give this example for mothers, especially, okay, if your daughter all of a sudden lost an arm, if she had scars on her face, would you love her less? Of course not. It doesn't matter what she looks like. You love her like you would die for her, no matter what form she's in. She's your daughter, right? So why can't we extend that same love to ourselves? And so a big piece here is to start to, again, disconnect us, our sense of worth, lovability and value from our appearance and realize I am so much more than my body. And if we don't do this work, we're accessing a road of suffering because our bodies are changing. No one can do anything about it. We're all aging at some point. Sure, for some, it happens later than for others, but at some point, things are going to get wrinkly. Things are going to sag. We're not going to look the same always. And then what? I'm so glad that you brought this piece up because it does break my heart really to see how many women beat themselves up so much about body image. Do you have any practices you like to share with your clients that focus on body appreciation, just taking it in a different direction? Yeah. So again, it's a huge topic. You know, I work with people between three and six months on this, but it's a little bit what I was saying before about the diet culture that we got to become aware of our beliefs. We got to become aware of what we we were taught. Like we saw the Disney movies when we were a kid and the princess is all super skinny with the perfect nose and the perfect face, right? We can start by looking at the world around us and take in all the different shapes because there aren't just the perfect bodies. If we look into the real world, they're hardly there. They're the one or 2% of the population. And so that we get to see, oh, I am normal. My body is normal. Having a belly is normal. Having belly rolls when I sit down is normal. Having wobbly thighs is normal. Having cellulite, the most normal thing in the world. So 
I mean, we have this kind of laser view where we just see the skinny, perfect people and then we compare ourselves and then we feel miserable because why can't we look like them? So opening up our view, understanding our beliefs and then educating ourselves around this and surrounding ourselves with this kind of information, the information that we talk about right now, like you are more than your body. Detach your sense of self-worth from your body. Can you start to appreciate all the incredible things that your body allows you to do on a daily basis? I mean, it's pretty miraculous when you think about it. When we focus on what our body does and how we feel when we do it, as opposed to what do I look like doing this? Because that's usually, you know, we always worry, oh, I'm on the beach. I wonder what this person thinks. And I wonder what I look like to that person. But if we actually come back into our body and have the embodied experience, then you're free. I love that because I do know it it sounds cliche, but they always say like, wear the suit, swim with your kids. And I think if we think of it that way, it's just like, I'm so grateful I get to be in this body that can do this right now, that can experience this play and joy. And since we're having this conversation in the summertime, it just resonates with me so much women miss out on their lives because of this stuff. Absolutely. Especially like you say, when you go on holidays and you're in the water and if you have kids and you play with them and you're just never fully really there, you're always just preoccupied. Even if it's in the background, it's just, for me, it was always this undercurrent where I couldn't just fully be happy. I couldn't fully enjoy. I wasn't fully there because there was always just something pulling me and taking my energy. It's like, hey, over here, over here, over here. And it was just so relentless. So when we free ourselves from that, you can only imagine what life is like then. It's uh, indescribable to someone who for most of their lives has been dieting and has been preoccupied with this. When that falls away, a lot of the time, the women then find themselves, I mean, now this sounds like a cliche, but they truly find themselves possibly for the first time in their lives because all of that other stuff falls away and they go, oh, this is me without all of this crap in my head, right? And it's such a, it's so beautiful to witness because that to me is true empowerment for a woman. Oh my gosh. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like women have so many gifts and so many talents and I want to see them lit up and sharing them and, you know, enjoying their life. So that's why I'm so glad we're talking about, I know this can be such a sensitive topic and I just appreciate your honesty and openness in talking about it because it's just one more way where women hold themselves back in their lives, I think. Absolutely. It's a, it's a huge piece. And like you said, imagine if all of that mind shatter and the energy that it takes up falls away, all the energy women would have to pursue what they really want to pursue. And they wouldn't hold back because of their body. They wouldn't say, I'm going to wait to do that until. They just do it. They just do it. And imagine then, I mean, I always get chill bumps. Imagine what, a, what world we would live in if all the women would just drop this and show up. Couldn't agree more. I know <laughs> that we've covered a lot of territory. I just wanted to give you kind of a final chance as we come up against time in terms of either intuitive eating or just kind of trying to step away from the diet culture. Is there any last pieces of wisdom that you kind of wish all women could mm. take away from this conversation that we didn't get to touch on? 
So firstly, I would suggest for anyone listening who's maybe in that place where they're kind of going, okay, the diet doesn't, it's not really doing it for me anymore. And I'm feeling really unhappy and I want something else, but I don't really know. Or there's a lot of fear to let go of the control. Really good question to ask oneself is what price have I been paying to pursue this? And am I prepared to pay the price? Now, someone might say, yes, I'm prepared to pay the price. I'm happy to live the way I have been living for another 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and get to 80 or 90 years old and go, yep, that was my life. I'm satisfied with that. But if the answer is no, I am not prepared to pay that price, to continue paying that price, then to open up to another possibility and start to gather some information, like listening to a podcast like this looking into intuitive eating, starting maybe to follow some people on Instagram and get just little sound bites that, you know, start to tickle the brain a little bit where you go, oh, like you have probably been doing and you read this and go, oh yeah, I've never thought about it this way. Oh, this is interesting. Oh, this is landing. You know, it speaks to a part of us that's dying to come out. These messages, when they hit us in a certain way, we know we're onto something. And then if someone is saying, yep, okay, I want to do this, but I am struggling to go from years or decades of control and rules and hating myself to just all of a sudden go, yeah, I'm an intuitive eater and I'm just going to listen to my body. Because someone who's died for a really long time, they have no idea how to listen to their body. It's a skill that has to be relearned. And in that case, I would definitely recommend to find some sort of support system, whether that's a coach, a mentor, a program, just so that you have someone holding you and guiding you because it's really tricky to do on your own. I could have never healed without support uh, because you're in your body every day and you're eating every single day. So there are potential triggers everywhere. Plus, most of us are surrounded by other potential triggers diet culture messages and all that kind of thing. So I'd start to just dabble a little bit in this world, anti-diet, intuitive eating, see what that feels like. And then if someone is committed to heal and take it further to then find someone that they really resonate with, because this is really deep work. That was perfect. Cause I always end my episodes by asking women and my guess, what's one question women could be asking themselves more. And I love what price mm. have I been paying? We can close there if it feels complete, but I'll give you a chance to respond if anything else comes to mind. I think that's perfect. Yeah. I think that's perfect. Yeah. I just feel inclined to add that it resonated with me right away. Like, what have I missed? What have I missed? You know? Right. It's the experiences we never get back. I mean, time is our most precious resource. You know, I spent all of my 20s and well into my 30s being preoccupied with that. I will never get my 20s back. Never. I could have had experiences, adventures, made friendships, traveled or whatever it might have been. And I'm so glad that I sort of hit that rock bottom and this. I decided, no, I want to move forward and I want to live my life. So really asking and checking what am I missing out on this is really, really powerful. Such a meaningful conversation, Anna. I hope that women connect with you and follow you and see this as a new possibility or new route for them. So where can we find you? I'm mainly hanging out on Instagram. I am Anna Sari. So that's where I share a lot of information, a lot of free stuff. There are more details about my program, how I work with people and where people can also reach out to me if they want to know more. Wonderful. We'll make sure to capture everything in the show notes. And thank you so much. I really enjoyed connecting today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Whitney. 
I'm so glad you joined me today. If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at, at @whitneywoman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.